0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Kyle from You Know I Got Soul. This is the You Know I Got Soul in Stereo podcast. We've got one person here who doesn't eat beef. We've got another guy here who li- only listens to Keith,
1: and, yes, I am sir. The
0: HOSG. and Tom, we got a special guest <laughs> in the house. Why don't you uh, introduce us to the guest?
2: Yeah, I want to introduce our special guest, R.L. Uh, he's been a, a good friend of mine for years. We've been supporting him for years, since the start of the site. He's always shown us a lot of love, so... It's an honor to have him join us as a special guest on this edition of the podcast.
3: What up, what up, what up, family?
2: What's up, man? Uh-huh. So, you know, we we these podcasts, we just, you know, talk R&B. We're, we're, we're all R&B lovers. It's going to be great to get your perspective. I just want to, you know, start out. We, we usually start out talking about new music. So I guess we'll start with you, R.L. You know, what are you listening to right now? What's What's in your quote unquote iPod right now. What do you you know, what do you got in
3: there? To be honest, it isn't a lot of R and B right now. Uh I like the new Justin Bieber, but I liked his last album anyway. I mean I I can't even front like the production and everything as far as the arrangements is so dope and simple. It's it's crazy because he's one of the few that's doing R and B and doing like the simplistic like music that has meaning that's, that's pretty dope to me um besides that i've been listening to that new scarface which is incredible uh i've gotten into j-rock a little bit um but more so anything probably that scarface that's incredible uh besides that the internet i like i like them and after that it's probably just going through records of mine trying to figure out what i want to do with my music
2: dad i know you're a fan of that internet record
3: Yes, I am. R.L.
1: got some impeccable taste, player, because pretty much everything he named, minus the Beaver, but everything <laughs> he named, you know, is on my list too. I just reviewed J. Rock over on SoulAndStereo.com. Go check that out. It had a, a couple bangers up there. I haven't yet gotten on Scarface. I've just heard a few tracks here. or there. very—it's a lot of R&B based things on it. Lots of soulful production, and I haven't heard the full album yet, but it just sounds from what I've heard, like it's going to be in that album of the year talk. It's going to be I, I one of the so. best ones of the year so far. So I'm very excited to do, hop on Do
3: that. this. Listen to the last Justin Bieber album. I mean, at first, of course, you go, wow, okay, Justin Bieber, whatever, you know, baby, baby, whatever, oh, baby. But he at first came out with an acoustic version of one of his albums, and he had a record that he added on there that was to Selena Gomez that was crazy. So that got my, my interest, you know, up. where I was like, you know what? As an artist, I don't want people to... Pigeonhole me and put me in a, a certain lane when I know I can do a bunch of different things. So, his next project I ended up getting, and it was the dopest R and B album I heard in 2014. I can't even front. So that's no if question. If you listen to that, it's crazy.
1: I have actually heard that acoustic joint, and you're right. That's some of the best stuff I've heard from him. And, and I do think that, especially R&B lovers, like we, anything that has the dreaded pop label, we're quick to turn up our nose and, ah, it's pop, ah, but the man is talented. He drives me crazy on a personal level, and that seeps into some of my enjoyment of his music, but the man's got talent. I can't hate.
3: But let me ask you a simple question. Yeah. See, I'm 38. I'm not sure how old you are, but my question – well, this is what I ask a lot of artists that I deal with that I'm cool with. Uh, Me and Wingo from Jagged are like, you know, really, really close friends, almost like brothers. And we always laugh and we go. For people like him and Chris Brown, who I think is the most talented cat of this generation right now, if he would just start rapping and cursing and smoking cigarettes.
1: But we ask
3: ourselves if – They had camera phones and anything more than Black Planet out. When we first came out, where -hmm. would we be? And all the mistakes that are amplified and, you know, social media and and how cats are keyboard gangsters and the things that can destroy you just from a click of a button, we ask ourselves where would we or many of the other artists that we grew up loving and idolizing, where would they have been? So I try not to look at the personal. And secondly, You know, I have a son that's 19 that's probably closer to maybe two, three years younger than Justin. And I look at the dumb stuff he does and the mistakes he makes, and I go, I have to give Justin that same leeway. You know, and seeing him grow and and clean up his act, and I hate to say it, but a lot of the mistakes he made was trying to be something he wasn't. I don't like the, the, to use the, the B word, but he was trying to hang around certain type of cats and have mm-hmm. some type of street cred. And that's the same thing with Chris. You know, you hang around certain cats trying to get street cred, and your house get ran up into, and you start picking up habits and trying to be something you're not instead of just being a professional. And that's what messes up the game. So the reality of it is is these cats are just super talented, but they, to, to, to an extent, they're kids, man, and they just need somebody to take their belt off or something and, and, and put them back in the right direction. But because they got all that money and all that influence, there's only a handful of cats that can do it. You know what I'm
1: saying? Oh, that's no question, because on my site, maybe a couple months ago, we were just discussing, like we all love TLC, but can you imagine if Left Eye had a Twitter, if Old Girl had Instagram, she would be on fire because people would be why, because she was just that type of personality. And, you know, I came up, we're around the same age, so I know the things that we went through back then, mid-90s, late-90s, and if we had camera phones and people were kind of looking at what we were doing, we would get caught up too. (laughs) But I think what... what we need to do, as as you know, as adults, we need to instill. I don't have any kids. I have a youth group. You have, you know, I have a child, but what you, what we do, and we're in this position to kind of guide. And I know that, you know, when you tell somebody younger, they're like, "Well, you were doing the same things." I'm like, "Yeah, play. I was doing the same thing." So let me tell you why you shouldn't do it. So a lot of the the Chris Browns and those who were. Got their wilding out phases. I understand that. Talent is there. But it's very important that they surround themselves with positive influences and that they remember who they are and that the eyes are on them. It's a little harder, but it's still that responsibility falls on them.
3: You're right, I Mo. Mean, you know let what? me ask you one more thing. What what does Chris and and uh, Justin have in common? As far as, as far as fan base? Where the their dads? Uh. Where, where, uh, their moms were kind of momagers And the women in their lives that were influential Or the people in their lives that were influential Were really women so the truth is, it takes a, a, sometimes it take a man, sometimes it take a you know a positive figure like that. So may, maybe that's what they need, but how can you get that? You know, especially when you have that kind of paper, it just changes. You know what I mean? So you know, I don't want to you know keep you know harping on that, but I'm just saying I'm not making no excuse for no man. But I feel like you have to give some people some understanding and a little room to grow. I think that Chris becoming a father, he I, he shown you know growth. I think that. Uh, Justin has really recovered because he got the number one record in the country. I like the last single with Skrillex, and I like this one. I think it's incredible.
0: Well, it's funny you guys keep talking about social media. R.L., I know you've been involved in some social media stuff recently with the whole, you know, why are you always lying video that's floating around Vine. (laughs) Uh, How many times have you been tagged in one of those videos?
3: You know what? too many and I and I and you know Vlad asked me to to make a video just to make light of it and I did it reluctantly because I'm going to be honest I don't know how to feel about it you know you're making a parody of my life work on one end you know I don't want to be a stickler and be you know seem like I'm bitter or anything but you're kind of making a parody of something that I work really hard with and something I continue to, you know, get residuals from and, and it's part of my identity. So on one end, I try to, you know, make light of it, but I promise you people will send me different languages and did you see this? Like, are you serious that I see it? So I, I tried to make light of it, but it's getting to the point where it's overkill, um, I, I, I always give props to anybody that's creative that's doing something funny. And I know on the internet, you don't really have to have much talent or anything to get a bunch of followers and to get something that becomes a meme or whatever. And you know, more power to you know to the guy. I mean, God bless him. But for me, you know, this is this is my life. This isn't a hobby. This is you know something I do. So you know, I, I try to make light of it as much as I can. But I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's to the point of where you know I I, I try to. Respond to a bunch of um, a bunch of um, other other people that, that hit me on Instagram. I try to read as many messages as I can. It's to the point now where I don't even want to read any because all of them are pretty much tags of, of different videos that I've seen a million times, and it's it's it never was really funny to me, and now it's to the point of where it's it's kind of frustrating to be honest.
0: Right. Well, it's interesting because Tom and I were down at um, at Essence. Um, for the, uh, I mean, in New Orleans for the Essence Festival. And I guess the question for you guys, and Tom, I, I'm sure you can elaborate it on, on it some more. It seems like this generation is all about having fun, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but because we're all so focused on having fun and laughing at all these 10-second videos, I think the aspect of true R&B is gone. Uh, Tom, do you want to elaborate on that?
2: Well, first of all, yeah, sorry we missed you down there, RL. I, we were just running around like crazy. We're hoping to get a chance to run into you down there, but too much. But the thing is, you know, we were in the convention center at the Essence Festival where they have all types of booths set up and different artists making appearances and and um, promotions and all these companies that have stuff set up. And I just literally was watching. I, I think it might have been Eric Roberson was doing a live performance on stage. And then, like, about 100 yards away, you had the Coca-Cola booth. And they were just playing some turn of music, like, I don't know, Wobble Wobble or something. I don't really listen. But <laughs> but anyway, the, the Coke one was packed. People were just dancing and having a good time, and there was, like, literally nobody checking out Eric Roberson. And it just kind of made me sad. It's like, is, is that what it's come to? People are just more interested in, in, in grooving to something that catches them instantly, you know, as, as opposed to just hearing some real music. And that's that's what I took away from that at this point. That's why we're at where we're at now.
3: Um, You know what, because we, we ended up doing the uh, Walmart stage, and they had us going like super early, which was crazy to me, but it was like, you know, still a blessing. You know, I appreciated it. I think that um, a lot of these corporations are going for generations that don't really spend money anyway. I think that where record sales are coming from are still adult contemporary. You know what I mean? Um, you know, people are more about single sales and things like that. Um, I'll give you one worse. Um, recently, uh, uh, a friend of mine, who's a pretty big music exec, hit me and said, "Listen, I'm, I've heard all your music. I already know what you're doing. Quit sitting around the house and being lazy, and just performing, and you know, and, and standing on just your hits. Let's do something." So he got me on the phone with a, a small boutique label, and I, to be honest, the reason I haven't come out with new music in a while is because. What I rather do, like a lot of my counterparts, to have all this talent, to have this great music that you never hear, that they put out on these labels that spend five to ten dollars to market and promote it, and you or they do a video that looks like they taped it on like a Skytel, not even, <laughs> not even, not even, you know, iPhone, and it, it, it to me it diminishes who they really are, and. I know that I can go and perform, you know, two, three times a month and live at the lifestyle that I'm accustomed to, even though I have all this new music that I want to release. But they got me on the phone with a music executive of a small – I can't even say an executive – a guy that has a really small label that has signed a few artists that stay there for one album and leave. So he got on the phone with me, and I was – we were just talking about music. And he basically said, well, you know, I see you don't have, you know, a lot of followers, and you don't have, um, you're not doing a lot of shows, which wasn't true. And he said, you know, you um, really, if we did did a deal with you, it'd be like starting from scratch. And, um, you know, there's no real fan base there for you. And what else he say? He says, if we did do a deal, it would be no upfront money, so you'd have to turn in the project. It was just, it was really disrespectful. And it made me understand why some cats do like the little easy record that'll get a bunch of play. You can go do shows for a year and and get rich for the time being. But then my biggest issue is, and I've said this a time before, where or what will these acts that are performing these songs now, what will they be performing in five to ten years? Because, yeah, you can hit a lick right now and make some money, but how will you be able to sustain your lifestyle once people want that real music again you know my cousin's philip bailey from earth Wind, and fire so for me you know growing up hearing those kind of records and knowing that cats can live forever off of four or five records and learning that myself um it hurts i'm not gonna lie because there is some type of i can't even say ego there's pride involved where you you want people to respect your craft and what you do and how much work you put into it um I just saw a performance of a, of a guy on a, on a major network, and he has one of the biggest records out, and he performed it live. And it was the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I was like, this is exactly what I'm talking
1: about. I saw their
3: performance, Ariel. I feel you <laughs> Right. And I'm not trying to w- wish ill will on anybody, but my thing is, it's not even the consumer that I blame. This is what has happened, and I don't want to, you know, I'll, I'll give me 30 seconds, this will be done, but this is what has happened. Back in the day, you know, Clive and these record people, right now these are they're numbers people. These aren't people that enjoy music or listen to something and go, I believe in this, I'm going to put myself behind this, this is a hit, this artist is a star, I'm going to do that. No. They're like, well, how many followers do you have, how, uh, uh, how, how many uh Whatever, like, it's all about social media and things like that. But what happens <laughs> is, realistically, Clive Davis and people like that seeing cats like Puff and Jermaine that worked their way up, that knew the life, knew, knew the culture, and they gave them opportunities. The problem is when you, sometimes when you give a brother an opportunity, what does he do? He puts his homeboy on. Now I don't want you in the streets no more, dog. I, I'm, come on, this music thing, I'm telling you, you can, you can make money. You, it's, the same, it's the same thing with real estate that happened. It's the homeboy network. And then you get these cats in the game that might have been an adult game, might have been, you know, different things like that. So now they look at the music game as a hustle. How can I flip this artist? So it's not even a cat that really grew up listening to 8-tracks or 45s or something like that. It's a cat that's like, how can I make some money right now real quick? So now you got these cats as executives. So they have power now. So they're not even worrying about music that they can feel or that they really love. They're worrying about how can I flip this and get a check, period. And that's where we are with music.
1: Wow. Did y'all just hear that sermon? See, I love that R.L. come in with this, because when your boy Ed comes with it, y'all are like, ah, y'all know what he's talking about. R.L. is telling y'all he laid down the sermon, pass, the collection plate, the doors of the church open.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what, let me ask y'all this. How many artists do you think that I'm open for, that, they, that I've sold more records than, that I have more hits than, or that they, they have one song? So I come out and I do my show, and – then this person comes out, and they do their show, and the whole show, the audience is waiting for them to get to their last song because that's the one song they know. Those are the most humbling type experiences that you deal with where you know a cat that ain't put no work in, he got half a record, he making triple the amount you making that night, but what do you do? you just handle your business. You just got to just take pride in what you do and continue to move forward.
2: And, R.L., I know you don't want to, to, to blame the consumer, and that's fine. Totally get it, but, like, for me... I want, I want to put the consumer on blast because, like, I recently saw this Instagram post that bothered me. I brought it up on another uh, podcast. Avant was mentioning his new album was coming out, pre-order, was available. And one of his fans or followers was like, well, you got to give us some samples of it first. I just feel like, like, where are the true the true fans anymore? Who's Who's supporting anymore? It's like, I feel like people are too entitled these days. People are not going to support like they used to. You got so many people thinking they're artists now that there's not even really fans anymore. It just—I'm not trying to talk badly about anyone, but like that's just the way I see the landscape out there of consumers and and what what artists have to deal with to get support. To me, it's just really sad.
3: Well, the well, truth I mean, is nowadays cool. artists are giving away music, like like
1: right. like as
3: far as the, uh, the the newer artists, so they want that same thing from. The, the, the more seasoned artists, but the truth is, then I realize and they're giving that away because it's not, it's, it's not worth anything. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah, you can go make instant oatmeal or, or you get it really cheap in a bag and come home and put water in, in it or whatever, but if you want, it like, a, a real breakfast and you go somewhere to a real nice restaurant, they're not going to... Can I taste it first? <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. I think that what has happened is uh, consumers have become spoiled because a lot of these artists that aren't as talented or don't have, you know, the kind of music that they should are giving stuff away, but then they're getting hits off of it. So they're expecting artists like us to do the same thing. You know, you've got to remember social media is crazy and we, we hear the same things. And, and you said that a fan of Avant, a fan, it wasn't a fan of Avant. It was somebody that might follow him, but it's not a fan because if it's a true fan, they're expecting the music. But I'd also blame artists like, like us, like me. I'll tell you why. We, we, we're in the car and we listen to music and we go through this midlife crisis. It's almost like a musical menopause where we go, well, dang, this is on the radio. Do I need to do this too? Man, like, do I just need to make some dumb music? And then you do, and then you go sign this little deal because you want to come out so bad, and your video looks cheap, your mixes ain't right, you couldn't really have the budget to pay the producers you needed, you just wanted new music out, and it's not up to the, the caliber of what your, your audience is used to. That's another thing. That's another reason I haven't come out with an album. I put a little single out just to get some feelers, and I'm not going to lie, it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't my, my best work. It, it, I, I didn't want to give them that because it wasn't the kind of budget That will be needed for that So That's what you deal with A lot of these artists That come from my time They, they go and just Want to put something out Because people are asking And the same question I get every interview So when you're releasing something What's up with the music The difference is Because of my discography And because I get to perform As much as I do I can sit at home And really you know, hone my craft and make it better, and and still grow. A lot of some of the artists do sound dated. Some of the cats that I came up with, music do sound old as hell. They still dressing old as hell, still wearing three X T-shirts and size forty jeans. They still are wearing three fold changes, still going on like that. So I, I'm not saying it's not the audience at all, but I'm saying that it's a it's a culmination of some artists not growing and they still sound dated or trying to rush to sign a deal because they want to put something out because they're tired of hearing when you're dropping something and they didn't have a budget to really put out what they needed to. And also, social media, it's a, it's a combination of things. I'm not saying it's not the, the, the casual fan at all, but if it's a real fan of your work, look at Prince. If it's a real fan, it's somebody that loves your music, they're going to find it wherever it is, support you however they can, period.
2: It's and I wanted to, I, you know, I really wanted to talk to you about your new music. You kind of touched on it a little bit, because we just brought up this article. Um, artists, we need a new album from in 2016. I named 15 artists. You know, R.L., you were on there. I don't know if Kyle and Ed, you had a chance to check out the list yet, but <clears throat> R.L., do you, you see yourself? At least a new album. I hate to ask. I know you get asked this all the time. No, but I don't. You know, know from
3: someone like you, I don't mind because I know that you want to see, or you guys all want to see, you know, what's best. I have a whole album done right now. I actually spoke to KG, who discovered me, and we made a decision that a record that we have together. I think I played it at the Hello Beautiful uh, event called Body that he produced. We were gonna put money behind, really do it the right way. Because the truth is, right now, if you don't have an investor, a rich friend, athlete, somebody you know that really believes in you that's going to put money behind you, These a lot of these boutique labels, they're not going to do it. And that's just what it is. So I want to. The album is, is
1: like, literally,
3: I did over 100 records. It's done. It's not mixed or mastered because I don't have the budget for that, but it's done. I mean, I know you've heard a lot of the records, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm ready for it, but again, I'd rather hold on to it and, 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 and listen to it and and love it myself and let a few friends have, you know, records and, and love them and it never come out than just throw it out and never get hurt because I've seen that happen to a lot of my counterparts, you know what I'm saying, and that's the most frustrating thing in the world. Definitely.
2: A few of the others I include on the list were uh, Anthony Hamilton. It's been... It's been Four five years for him. Eric Benet, Brandy, um, Kyle Ed. Who, who are you looking for a new album from in the next next year?
1: Well, you know, always how my list is my man Keith Sweat, and he's been playing with this album, so I want to hear something a little bit from my boy. So I would like to get some some love from him. I'm really waiting on this Tweet album. I know she's back in the studio and got some things popping, so I'd love to hear something from her and. Really, anybody who is out there with a voice that we're missing, that R&B needs right now, I'm totally welcome to hear them again. Anybody. Bring it all on.
0: Um, You know, for me, the one group that I'm looking forward to is TLC because they started that whole Kickstarter, fundraised a lot of money, so I'm just curious to see what they're going to do with that money, and hopefully the product's good.
2: I really hadn't even heard anything about them recording. Have they been talking about it, or...?
0: No, not at all, but it would be really silly if they didn't put anything out with all that money that they made. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know they were performing, but I didn't know if they were recording it.
0: Mm. Well,
2: that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Now, R.L., you, you brought up K.G., and uh, you know one of our favorite producers and a friend of ours as well. And now um, Kyle is putting out an article on um, some of the top producers in R&B, but it's more focused on the past 15 years, I believe. Kyle, you can speak to a little bit.
0: Yeah, so obviously the golden era of R&B we would consider to be the 90s. I really wanted to highlight the top producers of the 2000s and onwards. So um, I'm still putting together the list, but if you guys could, give me your top three.
3: ooh, that's a hard one. That's a really hard
0: one. <laughs> Post, um, yeah. I mean, obviously some of these producers have – created hits in the 90s but we're strictly focusing on what they created in the 2000s and onwards so the three that I had in mind right now um, and I'll just list them out and you guys can chime in um, I think I have Brian Michael Cox at number three mm-hmm. I have number two Jermaine Dupree and at number one I have Timbaland
3: well, Timbaland's not really R&B to me um, and I will put Brian and JD in, the, in the 90s more than the 2000s but I can respect all of those um it's just really hard for me because when you say R&B that's more I'm thinking and I know this isn't 2000s but Tim and Bob that's R&B you know what I mean um sure. Babyface that's R&B I don't really consider um and when you put Brian Michael Cox and JD together I think you need to put them as one you can't do one without right. the other because right and that's
0: what that was something we were talking about too <laughs>
3: Yeah, because cause without Brian Michael Cox, those records would be just samples, because J.D.'s a genius, but he's not going to get behind a keyboard and, you know, play anything or anything like that. That's not his kind of thing. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, man, it's, there's a lot of producers that I think are, are really dope, um, but I can say that what I will say to go back to something you guys were talking about before, like like artists you guys are waiting on albums, Brandy's probably my number one. My issue with Brandy is, like a lot of artists, when you come out and you, you, I can't even say artist, she's a singer, because an artist is somebody that is in the studio writing, arranging, that has, you know, something to do with the creative uh, direction of the project. You have other people that are really just dope, you know, performers and singers. They go in with the with the producer and somebody that, Give them the artistic direction that they're gonna go in with the project. I mean, they have to agree to it, I'm sure. But I know I I felt like with the last album for Brandy, it really wasn't. Um, it was in a bunch of different directions where you know you kind of want to be happening, you want to be popping now. When the truth is, your 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 core audience wants that real music with substance, where you blowing and it's just it's dope and, and it's not. Um, It's not trying too hard to be young Or anything like that It's just dope just because And I think that that's something That she did on the last project She's one of my favorite artists You know, one of my favorite Excuse me, vocalists Um, But as far as producers There's so many young new cats coming That are just so dope That I I listen to There's cats like O'Brien on SoundCloud If you go to SoundCloud There's a bunch of producers That are under the radar That are dope Because nowadays a lot of producers are realizing that when it comes to R&B, the core audience will sell you out really quickly. You know, I call it the um, Ciroc, um fans in the sense of, you know, you got cats like, what's the new flavor? Or, I need a new flavor a month after the first flavor comes out. And then you have other people that are like, you know, give me a, 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 a T&J. You know, they just want that quality, what they're used to. You got other cats that, I need that new. Give me something new, and then they'll – They'll love you for five minutes, and then your five minutes is up, and you're done, and they're looking. What's next? Um, So there's a lot of dope producers, but the older producers that were dope realized, just like Timberland did, that, you know what, maybe I need to go over here to this pop side because when they love you, you're good forever. So that's the difference
2: with me. Kyle, do you want to give a rebuttal? I know Kyle's a big Brandy fan, and (laughs) he also (laughs) – go ahead,
0: Kyle well um i mean the last album i wasn't really too fond of i think she kind of lost what she was really going for with that project i mean when i say like producers like timbaland and the impact that they made in the 2000s one of my favorite albums is the aphrodisiac album timbaland produced and i consider that to be r&b um but no is is that
3: better is that better than the rodney album the rodney album is the best album she did to me I personally
0: think it was aphrodisiac. I think the the you're talking about the full moon album, right?
3: Oh my God, that was sonically that was hmm. Teddy Riley, Michael Jackson, yeah. like that was like incredible. There's nothing I didn't like about that album. There wasn't. You know what happens is, you know how you'll be a fan of somebody and you'll buy an album of theirs and it, it's cool, but you'll find reasons to like something on it because you love them so much. I think that happens sometimes with with, yeah. with, with artists and, and fan bases but I mean sonically and everything about that album with with uh with Dark Child and them was just incredible. Vocally, everything. Songs, every just arrangement, there's nothing that I've heard, to be honest, from any artist that has come close to that since that album.
2: Let me ask you another question now. This is something we've always talked I mean, about on here. Um and, and that's this um this pop versus R&B debate. Like, what is R&B? What is considered R&B? What's pop? But my thing is, it's like we almost try so hard to put stuff in a box. Like, one thing that bothers me is, is when they try to call Rihanna R&B and classify her and all the award shows. It's almost not fair to put other artists compared against her that are, you know, making a totally different style of music. But, like, uh, you know, just everyone's opinion on this, like, if you feel like we try to categorize stuff too much and, and you know, it kind of hurts the genre as a whole, Are you asking me? You can answer that, yeah.
3: I think that what people forget is pop is popular. So Too Close was an R&B record, but once it became popular and it crossed over to a bunch of different formats and people started liking it that were other than the urban, you know, field, then it becomes popular to me. I think that now that what they've done that they've tried to um, box each category in indi- category differently, But the truth is All pop ever meant was popular Michael Jackson was R&B But he became the king of pop Because he had the most popular music So I think that that's what we mess up We try to change the the, mean, the meaning of something But the truth is R&B is rhythm and blues and, and does Rihanna's music have rhythm? A lot of it does I think that some of her music is more techno Or, or something like that It's not necessarily uh Even well, it becomes pop because it's popular. Some of it is R and B, but I think that what we do is okay. Well, this person is this color, or this person is that, or this person is this, and you you try to put labels on things. And the truth is, I want pop music. That means it's popular, popular R and B. That's what I. That's what I want. And that's that's for me. That's when Clive Davis, you know, talked to us about pop and crossing over, you know, becoming more popular and, and expanding our audience. That's what we felt
1: like he meant. Man, this is why we need Ariel here every week because he is just hitting (laughs) every point I've been telling you all, dog. When it comes to pop, I do think, as you touched on, a lot of times we start looking at color and we start looking at who you're featured with and we start dropping people into categories that are technically unfair. I mean, at the end of the day... An R&B artist probably wants to go pop because you are going to have more ears and eyes on your music, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's not selling out. It's just taking your career to the next level. Pop just means popular. Ain't nothing wrong with that. All
0: right, guys, I want to get into a a different uh, segment here. This is our open mic segment. So all I'm going to do is just say, you know, a question or, or, or a statement, and you guys just give me your thoughts on it. Um, so the first one we have is 2000s R&B. So I'm talking about from the year 2000 to, I guess, 2009. Um, Ed, give me your insight on that
1: era of music. From 2000 to 2009? Uh, it's the era that I love, but we started to unfortunately see cracks in the foundation because we were coming from 90s, which was just kind of the peak of creativity and sales and prominence, and that bleed, bled over into the first half of 2000. But then that second half of 2000, I think R&B started to lose its way. It started chasing after what hip-hop was doing. Everybody was doing stupid um, um, Auto tune it was driving me nuts because you're not Roger Troutman. Shut up. So we just lost a lot of our direction on that second half of the year. So that's what I think R&B is still trying to recover from that loss of direction in the second half of the 2000s. For me, Mario. I
0: just think. Uh,
2: oh, oh, oh,
1: go, yeah, ahead. Oh, oh. go
0: ahead.
3: No, you guys go ahead. I can wait.
2: So for me, it was just like it seemed like every year, real singing was getting pushed further and further from the spotlight. I mean, it seemed like, and now it's led us to where we're at now where you turn on the radio and you really don't hear anyone that you could really say is a talented singer unless you put on urban AC radio, which I feel like that, that bubble is shrinking as well. But, I mean, it just seemed like less and less importance was being put on, on singing every single year in the 2000s. My turn. Go
3: for it. <laughs> yep, you know. Uh, well, I mean, for me, number one, I I hate when they say groups from the '90s because we came out in like '98, '97, '98. But there was some whack music in that very early '90s, Lord, or it yeah. was real che- or real cheesy. You know, you had the Keith Washington's Not saying I didn't like any of his music, but you know, you had a lot of um, cookie cutter producers trying to do what Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis was doing. Because you know, I'm from Minneapolis, so I heard it all you know so i can remember there was always that's why i guess i had so much optim, optimism for you know later in the, the 2000s i was waiting for it to change and evolve back to what it what it was supposed to be kind of like it did in the late 80s and early 90s when stuff went to the synthesized uh, same beat machine sounds with the with a bunch of reverb on the vocals, which was the auto tune of the early, the late '80s, early '90s. If you listen to those records, it had so much reverb; it sounded like somebody was singing in the bathroom. Um, I think that what what changed the scope of music, even with the auto tune and stuff like that, was because the first artist I ever heard it on was Cher. <laughs> While everybody playing, it was a Cher record. So uh, what happened was, cats started going, "Well, dang." They're selling all these records without the talent using this. Well, what about if I have talent and use it? Will that give me even a bigger edge? So that's when cats started trying to find ways to use, you know, new technology to up the game for themselves. I can remember when Puff and a lot of the other producers started using samples because the older generation wasn't feeling the new R&B that we were doing, so we needed a way to tie them in with samples of music that they were used to from the barbecues and things like that with new lyrics and new melodies, and then we'd put a popular rapper. I remember when it was, okay, the record is dope, but we need something, and you go get a dude that was like the hot rapper at the moment, even if his verse was trash, you put it on your record, he's in a video, boom, you're selling records. I remember all the artists back in the day, even the ones that had one single, they would go get somebody and put them on their record rapping, and that would give them some type of attention. So for me... I can't say I want music to return to what it was because there was whack music even then. The problem is we're hearing more of the whack music now than the good music. That's the difference. It isn't that there isn't good music. It's that you start asking yourself to compete. Do I need to do this trash too? Or is this really trash? Is this dope and what I've been doing trash? So you start second-guessing yourself. But it's people like you guys, which, you know, with the site and everything you guys do, that make cats like me go, well, man, maybe I am doing something right. But a lot of the times, if you turn on the radio and your, your, your nieces and nephews are kids and you see what they're listening to, and you go, well, dang, is, is this dope? And maybe I'm just out of tune and, and just, you know, somewhere else. Maybe I need to do this kind of music. You start questioning yourself. And I think that's happened with artists as well.
0: Yep. And um, the next open mic that I have for you guys, and uh, this reminds me of a Carl Thomas interview we did a couple years back where he said, that he knew Trey Songs was going to be a star from the beginning. So for you guys, is there an artist that comes to mind where when you saw them for the first time, you said, that guy's going to be a star?
1: Yes, and this is very biased. I don't care. Missy freaking Elliott, because she is from my hometown, and y'all know the story. I don't care. But when I first heard that woman, because I first heard her singing, and I can't remember what the record was she was singing. It was
3: early 90s.
1: Her voice was so different. I was like, oh, that that's old girl standing on the street? Oh, she about to blow. <laughs> and that is the one artist that I have forever said, this is going to be huge, and she lived up to that. Now, there's been a lot of artists that I said were going to be huge and did not get huge, but that was the one that I just heard. And it was something about her style and her delivery and the way she carried herself that I knew would be game-changing. And then she took it to another level with the rapping and the production, and we were talking about R&B producers. I think she's one of the more underrated R&B producers of the past few years. But, yeah, my girl, Missy, she was a game-changer.
3: R.L., you go next. Yeah, I guess I would go with Chris Brown because I know Tina really well. We know each other's families. I've known her for a long time. We have a special history and I can remember when Tina Davis first um, talked to me about Chris and I first heard some of his stuff and I remember I was actually in LA at uh, the uh the uh what was it? Uh, the Oscar party for Jamie Foxx or whatever and uh he um he was there dancing against a Marion at the club. And he was just a skinny, you know, light-skinned kid, but he had, all, he had this aura about himself. And I just think he was you know, just so talented, and his work ethic is crazy. You know, whether it be drawing, whether it be writing, producing, singing, he, he can even rap some, even though I wish he would you know, stop it. You know what I mean? But when I heard him and saw him and just saw how a room looked at this kid that nobody even knew who he was in a room full of superstars, I, I knew it was a rap.
2: I'm actually going to go with Miguel. I mean, I don't know if you consider him a star, but, I, I mean, the the first time I covered him for the site, you know, he wasn't where he is now. And, like, seeing him live, he's, he was just so undeniable as a performer. He just, when, you, when you're around him, he just has that aura of, like, this guy, you know, gets it. He, he carries himself in a certain way. So that's how I felt when I was around him. And, you know, Adore kind of took him to the next level. This album, I don't know what it did for him, but, you know, since we started the site, you know, we haven't, seen too many R&B stars emerge, which is interesting. There haven't been many we've covered since the start who have really blown up, which is kind of sad, in fact, but Miguel was someone who came to mind. Did you have someone, Kyle?
0: Um, I was going to piggyback off RL and say Chris Brown as well because, you know, I'm a little younger than all of you guys, so I grew up during that B2K era and, you know, B2K was massive at the time, as was someone like Little Bow Wow, but when Chris Brown came onto the scene, it was on a whole other level that fan base just connected with him right away and you know, he was always a great dancer right from the beginning and it was a wrap. I I knew he was a star then.
2: So we're gonna I guess wrap up with R.L. we we like to do this segment I call this or that. But for this one I'm gonna I'm gonna this is gonna be about you. I, I, I came up with some of the topics related to R L. And it's going to be with a city flavor, Minnesota versus Atlanta, because I know you're from Minneapolis. You're in Atlanta now, right?
3: Yes, I am.
2: So I'm going to to just say this or that. The food of Minneapolis or the food of Atlanta?
3: Food of Minneapolis.
2: How about for sports?
3: Um, I'm a Vikings fan and a Timberwolves fan, to be honest. And most people that live in Atlanta... Aren't from Atlanta, so unless they they go to the games to see the other team star, so I got to go Minnesota. (laughs) That's what's crazy. Like seriously, you go to a a basketball game here and cats are coming because okay, LeBron's in town, Kobe's in town. But if it's just a regular night game and if they're playing against Charlotte or something, forgive me, Mike, but if (laughs) you know they're coming, it's going to be empty. So yeah, I go with Minnesota.
2: You kill me, man. You know I'm a Braves fan. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm from New York, so that, I guess that's your point right there.
3: Exactly. <laughs>
2: so, the, the I guess just the the nightlife scene, Minneapolis or Atlanta. Uh,
3: only, I say Atlanta only because there's a bunch of people that's not from here, but they're competing, so it's not an authentic night nightlife. It's more like people are trying to be like, look at me. You know, in, in Minnesota, there's not a bunch of people taking pictures. When they take pictures in the club in Minnesota, it's a guy with a Polaroid and you pay $10 for it. Here, <laughs> you take pictures and they go to a website and you can, you know, put it up on your social media. So it's really all about look what I got on, look at the bottle I have in my hand. I'm not really having a good time or I really am not supposed to be buying this. I can't afford it, but I want to have a certain look. So I'll give you that. And, and speaking on the Braves, There's a couple um, World Series rings that um, the twins have um, (laughs) next to you guys, right?
2: But yeah, I'll leave that one alone.
3: I'll I'll just set that one right there. Jeez, taking it back to
2: 1991 here. (laughs) Last one, uh, the music scene.
3: Um, I I'd honestly have to go with Minnesota, and it's surprising wow. because we have, like, I think, what is it, Firefly? Is that what the group is called? I think they're from Minnesota. There's a bunch of bands and things like that. You know, the scene is more organic. Here it's, it's, not, a bunch of, it's not a bunch of artists. It's a bunch of singers looking for producers and writers to make them look like artists,
1: mm-hmm. if that
3: makes sense. In Minnesota, you don't have that. You don't have the opportunities of saying, okay, you know, I can go perform here, and such and such is going to see me. I can get signed. So there, all you do is have time to hone your craft. So there's so much talent there. You know, you got to think of what's coming out, what's come out of there. You look at Anne Nesby. You look at uh, Sounds of Blackness, Prince, Make Condition, Us. It's it's organic. It's it's talent. It's artistry. It's not just okay. It, it's you know what? Give me a microphone and somebody beatboxing and watch what I do. You don't have to have a track. You don't have to have auto tune. You don't need none of that. You know, so I'm, that's 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 how I have to judge it.
2: But was it a necessity? I mean, just side note, but to move to Atlanta to be one of the, in the music markets to kind of further the career, or was that just by choice?
3: It was by choice in order for weather and growth. In a sense mm-hmm. of, um, of course, you want to be. For me, you got to remember not as an artist it's, as a, as an artist maker as a writer and producer and arranger for other artists. So I would travel down here, and once realizing the, you know, the, the, the price of living down here and things of that nature, and secondly, I hate to say it like this, but how many cats do you guys know that stay where they grew up and get in a bunch of trouble because they're hanging around the people they grew up with and they feel like they have to be loyal to them? So they lose mm-hmm. out, go to jail, get in trouble, get lawsuits. Things like that were starting to happen to me. And in order for me to grow, I had to leave home in order for me to become a real man. And I've been in Atlanta for ten years. I had to leave the cocoon and get away from family and, and so-called friends in order to grow. And when I go back and visit, I'll say, "Okay, I'll stay a week. I'm there a day or two, and I'm ready to come back home." Because you get to see how much or how many people have have their growth stunted from just staying in the same place and being comfortable. That's something that I never wanted. You know what I mean? So I had to move away.
0: All right, so we're going to get into the final uh, segment of our podcast. This is kind of interesting. It's our food discussion. So we're not going to talk R&B. We're just going to talk food. Now, R.O., I know you do your workout thing at 5 a.m., so this might be a little difficult for you. (laughs) And Tom, you don't really eat anything anymore, so I might just be speaking to Ed right now. (laughs) So um, we're going to talk about sandwiches. So is it peanut butter? Is it jelly? Or is it peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Which one is the best out of the three?
3: Peanut butter and jelly. Out of the, see,
1: out of the three, I don't like peanut butter and jelly. You need to step it up to peanut butter and honey. That's the fire honey. right there.
3: That's country. yes. <laughs> <laughs> kind
1: of, I never. Heard I, know of we, that. I
3: know we don't really go there. It need to be just sugar, sugar sandwich. That's what we did <laughs> growing up. How about that? Wow. i get wow. down with
2: it. <laughs> I'm actually uh, going with peanut butter and jelly. I like both. I like the combination. It's got to be the right jelly though. It's got to be strictly grape jelly.
0: That's it. No ugly. strawberry. <laughs> no. Nah. All right. I- I'm personally going with the peanut butter just by itself. Um, and then the next part of this is uh, toasted or not toasted for your sandwich.
3: Not toasted. And if you're going to go with just the peanut butter, you've got to have a glass of milk. Let's be honest. Are we to- oh, see yeah. you got, You're not adding any other things in. So if you're going to do peanut butter with <laughs> no milk, your mouth is straight dry. It's nothing. Yep. So come on. You see, we didn't we didn't bring the other variables with the milk in and all that. Like, y'all didn't give me that. So- <laughs>
2: <laughs> but wait a second. To- a toasting peanut butter and jelly sandwich?
0: I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that either, but it might be a thing. Oh.
1: It is. Oh. It's bougie, but it
3: is a thing to be honest. <laughs> it's Bougie.
1: Yeah, it's a thing. I've done it before. It's fine. Y'all fronting on your toasters. It's cool. Give me that toasted sandwich. I like my sandwiches warm anyway.
2: What are you raising your pinky while you're using your fork there?
1: <laughs> well, you know I'm. You know how
2: sedity <laughs> your man is. That's how we do. You know. You know one thing I never understood: ketchup on eggs. I just could never no. get down with that.
1: No. Neither do I. It seems like y'all talking about some country. That's right there <laughs> is epitome of that. So I guess that's all we got, Kyle.
0: Yeah, that's all we've got. Um, you know, RL, thanks again for joining us on this podcast. Hope you, get, hope you had as much fun as we did on this one. Definitely welcoming you back every time. Anytime you want to hop on, just let us know. Um, tell us what you have coming up.
3: Well, for me, it's just been a lot of you know performances. I'm getting ready to head back to Australia at the end of the month, or shall I say, the beginning of October, I believe. Um, I'm always you know trying to hone my craft, and hopefully after me, you know, well actually after KG gets back uh, and we we've mixed this record, y'all be hearing the single really soon.
0: Looking forward to hearing that.
2: Well,
1: Ed, what's going on with uh, com? No, the usual, the usual. Like I said, we just posted a review of um, J-Rock's new album, which is, you know, was a lot of hype around that, so I was glad that the fourth member of the Black Hippie TDE group finally got out and we got to hear a little bit from him, and the brother had something to say. So check out that review, and I'll have a couple more reviews coming this week. Maybe I'll finally get a chance to hop on that Scarface. Yeah. And Tom, what's
0: going on with us on uh, com?
2: I just wanted to share the story with R.L. real quick. Tell him about um, when you got to hang out with Wingo. Because Kyle, uh, R.L., Kyle's in Vancouver, Canada, so he doesn't get to come across a lot of r and acts out there, but he got to meet Wingo recently. Tell him about right. it, Kyle.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, suppo- it was billed as a Jagged Edge show, and uh, Wingo was the only one who made the flight. Not sure what happened there, but had a chance to talk to Wingo. And, you know, Jagged Edge has always been, you know, they don't really talk to the media a lot. But when I got a chance to just spend time around Wingo, he's a cool guy and, you know, we talked music and he was really looking forward to, you know, he just wants to sing and that was the one thing that I took away from, you know, just talking to him.
3: Yeah, he's one of the, he, to be honest, he's one of the um, purest people I've I've ever met. Um, and I was looking forward to a project that we, we were working on coming out, but, but it's not. But I actually am looking forward to working on, you know, music with him just for him. I mean, talented, people don't realize that because he's so humble and so cool with, you know, taking a back seat to his other members, but he's one of the greatest souls I've ever met in my time in doing music, and that's almost 20 years.
0: That's dope. Yeah, shout-out to Wingo. So for,
2: for you know, I got soul, we're just going to keep, you know, we got a couple of interviews we've got coming out, I think Music Soul Child, we just did one with Drew Hill recently, um, couple more of these articles you've been working on. Um, Just, you know, new content. Just trying to do our best to keep supporting R&B.
0: Yep. That's what we do. So, you know, thanks, everyone, again, for listening. Thank you, RL, for joining us on this. Uh, Look forward to bigger and brighter things for R&B. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. So uh, have a good day, everyone.